Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of Vodka O'Clock. I'm your host, Amber Love, from AmberOnMass.com. You can support my work and the show at Patreon.com slash AmberOnMask. And with that, you get uh, early access to the weekly cat detective stories about uh, Gus and Ollie and the amazing wildlife encounters that we have here. And um, a lot of talk about cryptids and spooky things and you know, the crimes, the the chipmunk mafia and, and whatnot. So join us at Patreon. Today, my guest is Mark Evan, who's from New York. He's a master pumpkin carver, fellow comic book nerd, all around artist. So Mark, welcome to the show. Hi, Amber. Thanks for having me. This is, uh, first of all, I'm so glad that you could fit in the time. Thank you for that, because I know we are now upon your busy season with Halloween. But um, I was, uh, we'll get into your background and everything, but there's a chance that maybe things are different for you this year. So, um, you know, if there's anything unusual about 2020 that's affecting the business, by all means, you can feel free to mention it, too. So yeah. Mark started started a, his pumpkin business with a friend. So um, let's let's explore your background and how you, how the maniac business started. Cool. Yeah. Well, so I am a professional pumpkin carver, which always sounds a little funny to say, even after all of these years. Um, but you know, me and my best friend Christoria, we have we're both artists lifelong artists and we have been um we've been friends since we were kids since middle school we've been making art together and collaborating and competing with each other and we've always had this this like really big love for halloween and you know just all things halloween and spooky and scary and you know, definitely pumpkins are a huge part of that. And, you know, so to give you a little of like our history, we were, we were um, always, you know, always drawing, always painting, always doing, you know, fun things. And, you know, a lot of our early work definitely had a lot of like, scare factor to it. You know, we, we were going for a lot of shock value when we were in, high school doing our paintings and, and, and early mural work too. Um, but over time, like that kind of started developing into like really a, a big focus on Halloween stuff. And to the point where when we were in high school, they, um, they let us kind of put together a haunted house for the school and for the community that, looking back, like I see a lot of the roots of maniac pumpkin carvers, our pumpkin business in this haunted house that we would create for, for our high school. And, you know, we were super fortunate and lucky that we had some art teachers who just like really supported what we wanted to do and and really pushed us to like explore our creativity and, and be as weird and everything as we wanted to be. And so we would, we would get time out of our class schedules to put together a, a haunted house that took over a portion of the school 
And, you know, kids and families from all over the community would come to to go through this haunted house. And, you know, we had like a budget, we raised funds for it. And, uh, and we made it as scary as possibly could be to the point where, you know, kids would be running out of this thing crying and uh, that would be me yeah we we went all out and really you know took the scare to another level with it and um and loved it you know we were so into it and it just it it kind of planted the seeds that would later become maniac pumpkin carvers um in the years after that we were both at Parsons School of Design in, in New York City. And, you know, we were working in the service industry, both working in bars and restaurants, and we would carve a couple pumpkins for the places that we were working at. And, you know, we were both artists and, and illustration majors. And so we were like, putting those skills to use trying to like, level up our pumpkins each year. We didn't want to just do the things that, you know, the the stencils from the pumpkin carving kits, we were like, how can we treat this as, as artwork? And, you know, just having that like healthy competition between the two of us, we kept trying to one up each other with like, what could be done with the medium of pumpkin carving. And, you know, back then it was like, you'd see Martha Stewart doing some cool things with pumpkins. And and there were a few other people that we would see on like, I guess, you know, like on TV shows, I actually, I remember one of the first things as a kid that like, that really blew my mind seeing cool pumpkins was um, on Roseanne, like the Roseanne bar, yes. you know. Her yeah. Oh, they, yeah. When they did the portraits. Yeah. They used to go all out on their Halloween episodes. And I remember seeing yeah. pumpkins on her show and just being like, those are awesome. And, you know, it would just, they would always be like in the backgrounds of, of the shots. But I remember that having a big influence on, on me and Chris, I think, you know, says the same. And so we were always trying to like level up, push each other to do better work. And with our, all of our artwork, whether it's painting, drawing, you know, we always would get so excited to show each other what we were working on the night before and, you know, then it would cause the other person to then go and like have to work harder. And so that kind of healthy competition, it just kept like pushing our creativity and pushing our, our technique. And it got to a point where the pumpkins that we were doing for the bars and restaurants that we were working in, uh, started getting attention and we started getting requests from other businesses and then, you know, we were posting some photos and this is in, this is in the very early 2000s. And, uh, and so back then, like there was no social media, but I was posting photos to Flickr and uh-huh. I remember getting contacted from Wired magazine saying, we saw some of your pumpkin carvings on Flickr. They're really cool do you guys have any Star Wars pumpkins? And we are big comic nerds. We're big Star Wars fans. And when they said, do we have any Star Wars pumpkins? It it was kind of funny because at that point, I was shocked I didn't have any Star Wars carvings. And <laughs> it was almost like a, how do I not have any Star Wars carvings? Because when like 
just a little background when when I was a kid like everything I drew was Star Wars you know so many of the my early paintings learning how to learning how to paint you know being me and Chris both actually we both were doing like these huge paintings of Star Wars characters trying to teach ourselves how to paint and so when they asked if we had any Star Wars pumpkins I was like I will tomorrow and uh-huh. so you know that night I carved a pumpkin of Emperor Palpatine and it was probably one of the most intricate ones that I'd done up to that point. And they loved it and, and, you know, published it in like a little feature on, on like geeky genre pumpkins. And the following year they did like a full feature just on us. The, the one with the star Wars pumpkins was like, you know, a handful of different, people who had done cool star Wars things. But then uh, the following year, they really like did a full feature on our carvings and it was like our first big press break. And um, after that, we got a bunch of attention and, and more press and media requests and more business opportunities. And that's when people like the New York Yankees started reaching out and Martha Stewart started reaching out. And it really just steamrolled from there, just growing very organically. And, you know, once we got a little press, we um, we really started putting some energy into our website. And and it just, it over the years, it grew very organically. But for a long time, we were still treating it very much like our website for, for a number of years was very much a um, an art portfolio. And then something shifted after a few years where we were like, this is really a business. We need to to treat it more like a business than than like just a portfolio of of cool stuff that we've done. And um you know so we got incorporated and all of those things that are important for a business to to operate properly. And um a major turning point was when we started adding staff because for many years it was just me and Chris doing every aspect of the business from sourcing the pumpkins to designing them, carving them, even, you know, hand delivering them. And we just weren't using our time to the most effective uh, way. Yeah, that's definitely something that I, I hear a lot of artists have to go through. I mean, before they get an agent and you, you have to do all your own bookkeeping. Yeah. It, there's so much just like as you know, from a writing perspective, there's so much non-writing that we have to do. And, you know, so it, it, I can I can only imagine what what you have to go through with because you're, as you said, treating it like a business now. Um, you know, your website is is gorgeous and you list different things like having classes and corporate team building and that you're available for advertising opportunities. And so it's it's more than Halloween. Yeah, thank you. So, yeah, it, it's interesting. You know, when we first started also, there was, we were treating it, we were coming from it from a very like, we're artists and this is our art form and, and we were very pure about it. And And for whatever reason, we felt like, that mindset we had to do everything but you know then we realized like successful artists have teams around them and treat their their artwork like a business and so we tried to really you know just learn as we went and we learned through trial and error in a lot of ways but having a team that supports us 
um, it really allowed us to grow in so many ways. And uh, it, it allowed us to focus on the things that we were best at. And yeah, it, it, it's, it's been very interesting over the years, you know, we've, we've really been able to grow our brand and grow the company. And now we're at a point where we've worked with so many of our favorite, um, our favorite, our favorite companies have hired us to work. You know, we've done work for Marvel. Yeah. I love this. DC and, you know, so many different media and entertainment companies. And that was a big thing for us too. When we started really shifting gears from, looking at our pumpkins as just the physical object, you know, it was like for the first few years, it was just like, these are pumpkins that we carve that can be displayed somewhere. And then we started realizing there's so much more possibilities for, for the usage of pumpkins. You know, now so much of what we do is work in advertising or, you know, entertainment where we still create, you know, massive displays of pumpkins that people see in person but many of our our most detailed pumpkins are ones that get filmed or photographed in our studio and the the end product is the final footage that we send out not the actual pumpkin i noticed that i thought that was a real intriguing part of of what you offer is that you know professional photo shoot of the pumpkin is is something that's so valuable because you're using real pumpkins and they will deteriorate and, you know, you can do your best, but they're not going to be preserved. So people obviously want the best memory of it possible. And yeah. having, having those photo shoots has got to be an important part. Yeah. They, they go quick. You know, it's like we have experimented over the years with all of the different things that, that, you can do to try and preserve them. And what we've found is that very little helps and less is almost more in many respects. And we've kind of, we've kind of resigned ourselves to, we, we don't really try too much anymore to extend the life of it. Um, there's a few things that we do that, that, you know, like cleaning the pumpkin before you carve it helps it so that it doesn't, mold or, or deteriorate as quickly but we're not we're not spraying it with stuff we used to like really like spray it with things or or dip it in things and and it's the the results are so mixed on whether or not that actually does extend the life of it at all mm -hmm. we've kind of gotten into the mindset that this really is an ephemeral art form and so we document it with photographs and that's how we preserve it. Yeah. But the physical object, there's something really beautiful and Zen in a way about, you know, having this non-attachment that we spend a lot of time and energy putting effort into the intricate carvings, knowing full well that as we're working on it, it's already beginning to decompose. And yeah. when we're done with it, it's, it's going to last a few days, maybe a week. You know, if if you're really lucky and the weather and everything, the stars align, it may last a little bit longer. But for the most part, we're like totally okay with putting in a lot of work into something that we know isn't going to last more than a week. I was literally just writing th that sort of premise up in for one of the blog posts about 
um, how there there are these monks who create these elaborate uh, mandalas and yeah. sand, and then they just brush it away when they're done. And you know, like they're they're not even concerned with taking pictures or anything because it's just part of non attachment, which in in yoga is called a parigraha. So. Um, you really do have to be okay with that. And I've seen, you know, different artists, they might have a painting where they're like, okay, well, I did this and now I'm done with it. And they paint over it with a completely new painting. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it's mind blowing to me. I'm like, oh my God, but you spent like two or three weeks on that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, so it's, it is, it's part of, it's part of working with something organic, especially. So there's there's a couple of different facets to it because you know people see us putting all this work into these these carvings that are super detailed and you know the first thing out of most people's mouths is how can you what can you coat it with how can you make it last longer what you know they, people have a hard time wrapping their heads around the fact that that we don't mind that it's going to rot and you know people are like, why wouldn't you carve something in wood or, you know, you must, foam. Do, yeah. you must do wood sculpture or stone sculpture. And we, we don't, we, you know, we really, we work in many different mediums, but we love pumpkin. And part of our love of pumpkin is that it's perishable. There's, there's beauty in things that are impermanent and, you know, non-attachment, it, it's, it's something there, it, you know, we get really philosophical about pumpkins and, and it, there's... But it makes sense. It does. And there's this process and journey that you go through while you're creating it, that if, if we didn't love the process, we wouldn't be able to do what we do. You know, we're going to spend 10 hours straight staring at the same pumpkin sometimes, maybe even longer. And then it rots and you just have to be okay with that. You have to love the journey that it takes to get to the end product. And then there's also knowing that whoever sees the, the actual pumpkin in person is really getting like this unique experience that, that can't be replicated by a photo. You know, we, we document everything with photos where we haven't gone so far with the non-attachment as to like, not take pictures of our favorite works. I mean, I guess we do plenty of pumpkins that that don't get seen and don't get photographed, but the ones that we're proud of, we really try and document, but it the photos are two-dimensional. You know, they they're not right. capturing the feeling that you get when you see a work in person. Cuz the thing is is that pumpkin part of why it's such an interesting medium, pumpkin flesh, it's it's organic and like skin, it's translucent, so light passes through it. And whether we're doing our more sculptural style that that look kind of like wood carving, you know, when light hits it, the way it passes through it, it, it has a very unique kind of texture to it that is almost skin-like. And, you know, seeing that in person is is just different than seeing a photo. And then the style that we're really known for are the ones where we're putting a light bulb inside and we're, we're doing a level of surface carving. You know, we, we refer to it as etching. And right. So when you, when it looks, um, you know, like a bas relief or something, right. 
Well, not even when we're doing the etched pumpkins, it, you know, the, the more sculptural ones are more like high relief sometimes, but okay. the, the etched pumpkins are more like we're creating a negative image carved into the pumpkin mm-hmm. so that when we put a light inside the, the light shines through in different amounts based on how deep we carved into the pumpkin. And right. And so that's that, how you make shadows and, and exactly. the, you know, the dark, dark surface. Yeah. yeah. So we can get a full range of values from light to dark and even like variation in color just by how deep or how shallow we carve. And those, you know, like we've gotten really good at photographing them over the years and the photos are, you know, a big part of our business. But if you ever get to see one of our pumpkins in person, they have like a hologram effect where it it moves with you. And it's just, there's something so magical about seeing them in person. So, you know, when we've done events where we have a room full of these pumpkins and we've done, you know, gallery exhibitions um, and we have carved pumpkin, we carve a pumpkin every year that's a famous work of art for the Museum of Modern Art. And those are always like one of the highlights for us. And these pumpkins, they they really take on like a 3D glowing hologram kind of effect that the photos, the photos look great. And, you know, people find us because of our photographs They're you know, the photos blow people's minds. But if you could imagine just the, it, seeing it in person, it's a whole nother level. And so, you know, for us, when we're working on them, just spending hours staring into this glowing like hologram, it's really fun. So do you put the the light bulb in while you're working? We typically like to challenge ourselves in a way and, and do like a good portion of the carving without the bulb in. So okay. there's a level of mental gymnastics that we go through kind of figuring out the negative image as we're carving. And then it's kind of exciting because you put the the light in and it's like this reveal. So, you know, we like kind of surprising ourselves even sometimes. And then we do all the final details with the light inside. So that way, you know, we're really like just dialing it in and, and um, you know, the magic really starts to happen. Because as, as a non-artist, <laughs> what I have to do is I have to take somebody else's art and then I have to take it into GIMP and I have to tweak the contrast and then bring down the threshold and like turn it into like three colors. And it's like, okay, now I've got a part that you cut out, a gray part where there's flesh and then the part that stays dark. <laughs> and, and I have to, and I, and I do it the, like the, the way that they tell you, you know, from the, the mass produced products is, you know, you poke holes all around and then you, and then you cut, you slice away. Um, so when with these amazing, especially something so amazing as a, as a piece of of masterful art that's you know at at the MoMA or the Whitney or whatever, are you guys using any kind of projection or are you seriously just looking at the piece of art and then doing it freehand? Kind of all of the above. You know, we have a few different transfer methods that we use, but we're we're artists, so we you know, we sketch out the designs and, you know, the, the, some of the classic transfer methods, like the, the pin kind of poke method that to us, 
is a little clunky. Like we'd rather sit there and, and just spend the time and, and sketch it out. And, um, you know, it, it's a time consuming process, but it, it really, you know, for, for us, once we get the image on there, then it's a lot of just studying what we're, what we're working on. So if, you know, one of our favorite things is our artist series of pumpkins and the artist series that we do, you know, we try and translate a favorite or famous work of art of ours, you know, something we try and take like, you know, one of our favorite masterpieces from art history or favorite pieces that, that modern art artists that we love have done and we'll try and, and recreate it detail for detail in pumpkin. And, you know, we haven't figured out a way to create like a map for that. You know, the, there's no way that, I mean, I guess it might be possible to create a template, but we just, we sit with the image pulled up on an iPad or something and just study it. And, you know, that is something that, if you go to any art museum, you'll see artists doing copies of, of masterpieces. And, you know, sure. it's the way that you grow as an artist to study another artist's work who's come before you. And so trying to figure out how to translate it to a different medium and it, what ends up happening, it, it, these pieces are ways that we've been able to push ourselves to like, every time we do one of our artist series pumpkins, it pushes us to like, really level up our our craft and also you know push what what's possible with the medium of pumpkin and the end result is often that we have such a deeper appreciation for the original uh work that we're studying you know it's like you form a bond with the artist and especially it you know sometimes with the artists who are long past you know when we're doing a van gogh or or, you know, a, a Matisse or a Gustav Klimt, you like, you go into this zone where you're recreating their work and like getting into their head a little bit and having this like relationship with the artist who created the work as you're copying it. And it's just, you know, again, what I was saying about like, enjoying the process, loving the journey. Um, there's something that's so rewarding for us in doing these artist series pieces and then of course you know like getting to display them at at moma or you know wherever else we've we've put the these pumpkins and seeing the way people react to them is such like a thrill because we we spend most of our time you know working crazy hours in our you know secret pumpkin headquarters and then we don't always get to see the the direct reactions that people have but when we do it's it's like it's so cool do you get um the feeling uh, you know after you've made all these incredible appearances and you've been on you know one of my favorite annual things is the um the halloween wars mm, so yeah. you you get you get to be the celebrity for a little while so how do, how does that feel it's always, it's funny, you know, it's a trip. Like even just hearing you say celebrity is such a weird, like we're so not those people, but <laughs> it, is, it is funny. Cause you know, for a month or two out of the year, people like might recognize us on the street, you know, something registers They're like, Oh, those are those pumpkin carvers. Um, but you know, it, it, 
it's it's funny it's just it, it's a weird thing that we've become known for it's such a niche thing and there you know we've really been very fortunate to have done some amazing appearances you know um me and chris and several other of our crew have been on halloween wars um i was a judge on outrageous pumpkins for food network and then you know just like doing appearances on things like good morning america and you know so we've done a lot of the morning shows and a lot of the different talk shows you know like uh, i mean uh, there's too many to even list but those things are always just you know great fun it's fun meeting those personalities who host these things and getting to talk with them and just you know share like our passion for pumpkins it it's always a blast it's gotta be it's you know it's like when when we go to comic-con and uh you know and there's people that that we as like reviewers and fans and stuff recognize um but you know they can go to the supermarket like a regular person and they, they you know they might not be known for who they are nobody's gonna run up and go hey it's alex ross you know right yeah. <laughs> unless they're a super nerd like yeah well, that's a little bit how we kind of feel in October. You know, in October, like people are a little bit more likely to to notice us because of just like pumpkins are on their mind or, you know, it's like there's a little bit more of an association. But most of the year we're we're fairly anonymous. And I mean, you know, we do, me and Chris both are, and all the other artists on our team, we all have, um, you know, received a good degree of press for our other artwork too um and so you know it is always kind of fun when you get that random person on the subway who's like are you that artist and it, it <laughs> it's happened you know it, it's not it, it's it's not common but it is fun when I actually there was one time I was riding the subway and it was so random because this this um I want to say kid, but he was probably in his, you know, twenties and we're standing next to each other on the train. And he looks at me and he's like kind of staring at me. And I had, I had a piece of artwork with me, but it was turned so that like, it wasn't turned towards him. He couldn't see it, but he looked at me and he was like, are you Mark maniac? And I was, (laughs) and I was like, yeah. And I thought he might've recognized me from one of the pumpkin things. And he he goes and he pulls out his phone and the screen the lock screen on his phone was a painting that I had done, and he was like, "I love this painting so much," and it happened to be the painting that I had with me that I was bringing back from an exhibition, and it was That's like wild. Trip. It, it that was cow. like a really cool random you know. So it does happen, but it, it's rare. That's so totally surreal, though, like the the destiny of it being like exactly there at that moment. Yeah, it it was that was a funny one. But, you know, we we also so one of the things that me and Chris and and a few of the other guys on our crew and girls on our crew do outside of pumpkin season is we uh, we do a lot of murals. We're, We're muralists, street artists. You know, so we do a variety of different types of work from illustration to fine arts to street art. And the interesting thing with the street art is that we are a little bit more public with that stuff. You know, people photograph us 
while we're working. And so our faces do get out a little bit more than like the typical artist who's working in the studio. Um, but this was just like a weird random, you know, it was, it was a strange one. It, it was awesome. Yeah, I can, I can imagine though, because I was just, um, looking at, at Instagram yesterday and, and saw, um, my friend Demetrius who owns anyone comics. Um, oh. and yeah, and he has somebody painting the, uh, whatever you call that, like security gate thing that you pull down over the store or some yeah. he, he, he had a, a spider-man mural for a long time right there they're in yeah heights yeah so it's he's doing uh so somebody's doing black panther now cool yeah um but it is you know it's like uh, you know you you find your people yeah and, and it's wild um well, you know, the, the mural thing is interesting, too, because there's a level of impermanence that goes with that. You know, he's right. having an artist paint over. I don't know if it's the same artist or not, but he's having a new piece of artwork painted over an old piece of artwork. And with our murals and our street art, you know, it's very common. These things don't last very long. And, you know, sometimes we'll we'll do a huge mural knowing that it's going to only be up for a few weeks you know sometimes you know that a building is getting torn down and you have an opportunity to paint on it or just you know we've done murals where we put a ton of work into a mural and then the building gets sold or you know there, there are things that happen and those or you know somebody comes and tags it you know there, there's just so many factors with public art and street art where there's there's another level of non-attachment that kind of goes along with everything that we've been saying about pumpkin carving. Well, this brings up an, an interesting thing that um, I recall it might've been last year, maybe 2019 or 18 um, that down in the city um, in the financial district, there's the big giant bull statue and mm -hmm. then other people paid and had the little girl, yeah. standing there uh, you know real defiant and standing up to the bowl um so the original artist got really pissed off that it changed it it changed i guess what his idea and meaning and definition of the bull statue meant right. um but like you said it's public art so things happen so like how yeah, do you yeah. how you know how do you fall you know with some you know with something like that you have to like yeah so you know, I have a lot of feelings on that and I think you know I think public art in general public art is always more of a conversation than other types of art and there's an evolution to things and public you know as we're seeing in this year in particular you know public art you know, historical statues are coming down all over the world. And, um, you know, these things evolve and they, you know, public sentiment changes over time and meanings behind work changes over time. And very rarely is the artist there to describe their intent. So, you know, having, I thought it was so cool when the statue of the girl was added to the, the bull, you know, in Wall Street, and I think that was, I don't know if it was only intended to be a temporary thing or not, but um, I, I, I fully embrace that. You know, I think it's so interesting to 
to be able to like put a twist on things and to be able to change the narrative in a way. And it was so relevant at the time, you know, it just seemed it, it, I thought it was such a clever use of public art and yeah, I think, you know, as an artist, you kind of have to be willing to roll with those punches and, you know, you kind of, when you put your work out there, you have to be willing to let go to a, to a degree and you have to be willing to accept that you put certain levels of intention into your work, but unless you're sending out an artist statement, you know, with it to every person that sees it, or you're there to like describe the work, like people are going to read into it what they want to read into it anyway. You know, it, I always feel like artwork in general, the, you know, the artist creates the work with whatever meaning and intention they set for it, but the viewer completes the work because no matter what you put into it, you know, you show it to a hundred different people and they're going to give you like a hundred different meanings for that artwork. So, you know, for someone to like add to the narrative of it by putting some, and they didn't alter his work. They just put something in right. front of his, you know, near it. I, I think it's great. You know, I, I think it's a conversation starter and I think it was a very like topical conversation that, that was relevant, relevant for the times. Uh, yeah, and, and it's it's interesting, though, how, uh, you know, I don't know that people think of things necessarily as art all the time. Like we're talking about statues that are being torn down and they're being replaced with um, with art that's uh, more compassionate. Like there's, you know, there's paintings up of Breonna Taylor and, um, you know, every time there's there's a terrible victim uh, or mass shooting or something, the answer is always art, mm. uh, you know, and it's, um, but at the same time, pain can happen. Like they're in, in New York, they recently unveiled this, you know, the statue that was supposed to be um, very respectful of women's suffrage movement. So they, you know, they took Sojourner Truth and, you know, placed her basically in a historic setting where she wasn't of like, you know, the signing of the amendments to, you know, for women to seek the right to vote with women who would not have given a black woman the right to vote in the first mm -hmm. place. So it's, it, it's an unusual thing because it's like, are they rewriting history just for the sheer fact that they made that statue and a statue is, a lot more permanent than something like a political cartoon in a, you know, in the newspaper. I, you know, it's, it, I, I mostly, I don't know, maybe it's based on the people that I follow on Twitter, but I saw a lot of blowback about how insensitive this new statue is. Yeah. Well that, yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. I mean, the, I, I, I'm not a fan of, of rewriting history, you know, I, I think, yeah, it's, it so, you know, there, there's, there's a level of sensitivity that needs to be had. And I think it's important to learn from our mistakes and not, not change, change the facts. Um, but, you know, what you said about the artist's response 
wanting to create works in tribute to, you know, injustices and, and things like that. I can speak a lot more to that because I definitely also fall into that category of like, you know, someone passes away who, who touched me and I want to pay tribute to them in the way that I know. And, you know, for me, drawing them, painting them, carving them in a pumpkin, those are are things that I know. And, you know, I think artists tend to be some of the more uh, empathic people in our society. You know, we're, we're very emotional people typically. And, and, you know, when there are these social injustices, when there are, you know, things that happen in society that, that cause these like shock waves, the, the, there's something that happens where artists feel a need to respond and the way that that typically we know how to respond is to memorialize in some way you know like you see so many portraits of of people being created in this time you know so many portraits of people who have been killed and um but also you know there's also more indirect tributes of just like taking the emotions and processing it through art. Um, I think, you know, it, it's, it's so important for artists to express themselves in those ways. And, and it's another way that just artists kind of artists can capture things in imagery that, that are hard to say in words and it's often how we communicate. So it's, um, you know, culturally important and personally important as well. You know, it's like, I know a lot of artists during the past year have felt like this kind of conflicted message of like wanting to pay tribute to, to certain people who, you know, were, were victims of police violence or, you know, like you brought up Breonna Taylor or, you know, George Floyd. There have been so many beautiful paintings of these people this year. Yeah, and sure. it's it's one of those things like I know I've had conversations with artists who are like, you know, I don't know if it's the right thing to do, but at the same time, I you know they feel like they have to do it. It's and I think when when an artist gets that that feeling of like you have to do this, you have to kind of honor that, and um, you know one of my favorite artists and and who's become a a mentor to me, Alex Gray. um, He says, you know, when, when the muse or the angels, you know, give you ideas, you have to pay tribute. Otherwise they'll stop giving you the, the wisdom and the ideas. So, um, you know, I kind of hold that, like when, when you have that urge to, to create something, when you feel the muse kind of whispering in your ear, you kind of, it's like almost your duty to, to put that out into the world and, you know, document the, the vision. Yeah. And that's, that's something that, um, you know, again, based on, on my network of, of people, um, that I see frequently and it's just this compassion and it brings people together. Like we just made, um, a comic book anthology called insider art and it was about you know the feeling of being 
stuck inside the you know Shelley Bond and and the editors like Chris Simon and Nicole Boost they they had this idea of we're stuck in houses we were quarantined very strictly here in New Jersey just like in New York for a few weeks where only if like you know you absolutely had an essential reason could you even leave your house so we came up with this you know this insider art anthology and you know so it brings together these writers and artists and some people have never made a comic before but they they had a ritual that they were able to write down and then somebody illustrated the ritual for them of like what we're doing while we're stuck inside in different rooms of our houses during this time and um you know and again donating the money and and uh the same exact thing happened after the Pulse nightclub shooting. It's like mm. people got together and they made this, uh, you know, amazing comic anthology. It's just, it's, it's something that's born from horrific tragedy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and that's how we get the most amazing songs from, you know, from protest songs and, it's and then people misuse it like taking a credence clearwater revival song and using it at a political campaign event you know yeah like, that that always happens but i agree you know i'm i'm really i i can't wait to check out the the work from the insider art um i think you know tragedy tragedy always strengthens community and in unexpected ways and you know we we just kind of passed you know, September 11th anniversary. And, you know, right. I was, I was living in a few blocks away from the World Trade Center in New York when the towers came down. And, you know, I never saw a stronger New York City than through that period of time. Um, and, you know, there, there's a lot of like parallels to what's going on in the city now with that time. Um, with the pandemic, with being quarantined, you know, it's 2020 has been a really strange year. But it's yes. also like had some weird and, and unexpected side effects. And, and some of that has been community building. Um, one of the things that has kept me more sane through all of the craziness of 2020 was similar to how you're describing the comic book community coming together. Um, I have been, you know, kind of a part of this like visionary artist community and um you know visionary art is 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 artwork that is pulled from visions so sometimes it has a little more spiritual feel sometimes a little more psychedelic feel it's a pretty broad category of art but um a uh, an artist named Amanda Sage who is a, a fantastic painter she kind of like put the call out to a lot of the people in the visionary art community at the start of the pandemic that like you know, we're all isolated, but it's a time where we need to come together. And so she started this thing called the Vision Train, which has been a 24-7 nonstop Zoom call. And wow. it's been such like a lifeline through these crazy times where everyone is isolated in their homes or studios or wherever they are around the world. But we're all like on this Zoom call, like logging in whenever is convenient for people and having a community with like-minded artists talking about things and, and sharing what they're working on, but also just like jamming and creating art together separately. 
And, you know, the way that people are finding new ways to communicate and new ways to come together in these strange times, it's one of the things that's going to be a lasting effect of this period of time. It, you know, it's like before 2020, all of these technologies were available to us, but nobody was, you know, really using Zoom outside of, you know, maybe some business meetings with, you know, global partners or whatever. But now it's like people, it's so secondhand to get on a Zoom call for, or, you know, Google meetups or whatever it is for classes, for different artist communities. You know, so many people are using it in different ways. And it's like, it took a, a tragedy for us to like, look at this technology differently and to like, put a creative spin on how we could you know, come together in community still, even though we had to be isolated. And yeah, there's, and again, it's, you get these big surprises and interactions that maybe you didn't expect, like Lin-Manuel Miranda, like he arranged with this uh, kid's parents, you know, she was talking about how much she loved Hamilton and she's, you know, this huge Hamilton fan. And all of a sudden she's having this, you know, Zoom call or whatever, this video chat with somebody and he pops on the screen and is there to talk to her and start singing to her. And it was wild. Oh, it's so cool. Yeah, he's he's an inspiration for sure. Um, so, yeah, it totally segues into um, I was going to ask about technology and how, you know, do you think the the well, you know lack of a better word industry or you know the the art world of pumpkin carving is going to see changes with technology now that there are other things you know obviously once once a piece of technology is invented eventually the price starts to come down um so you know i have friends who are dabbling with 3d printers and those cricket machines um you know do you do you think there's something that's going to be like this blown away. Oh my God. Why didn't we think of this before invention for pumpkin carving? Well, I can tell you that, you know, so, you know, it kind of brings us back to where we started. We, when you first, uh, when we first started the, the conversation, you were asking a little bit and we kind of went in a different direction, but you were asking about, uh, you know, 2020 and how it's impacted pumpkin carving. And, yeah. you know, from the start of the pandemic, um, there, you know, there was so much fear in the air and, and especially, you know, with the economy globally shutting down to, you know, to a large degree. Um, and, you know, from the beginning, I kind of saw that this was not going to be a quick, like, going, you know, there there were people that were very optimistic that this was going to be like a month of things shutting down and then we'd be back to normal. And I just from the, the things I was reading, the interviews I was listening to, I was like, you know, this is going to go through the fall. And so, um, you know, it, it took it took a little bit of work on myself to get through the the fear um, but again, like the, the community that I am a part of with the vision train and, and, you know, just conversations with my partner, Chris and, and, you know, my, my wife and family and the, the things 
that were really important to us. So I, I kind of realized that it's so important to stay optimistic and hopeful. And, um, you know, we basically with, with maniac pumpkin carvers, we've always tried to stay ahead of trends and we've always had to adapt to do that. And from early on in the pandemic, me and Chris just, we like kind of planted the seeds in our heads that this is going to be a year that's very different, but we are creative people and we come up with creative solutions and we're going to adapt. And, you know, the, the ways that we would adapt, it, it, it wasn't even, you know, it didn't have to be totally apparent at the time. We were just like, we know we're going to adapt. We know we're going to make sure that we have a good pumpkin season, no matter what we're creative, we'll figure it out. And as things started developing, like as I started using Zoom more, um, it just became apparent that like moving some things online is definitely one of the answers. And, um, you know, we had been talking for years about doing online and virtual classes. It's something that we, you know, we had been thinking about and talking about for so long, but we we always felt like we were hesitant because we didn't know if there was really a demand for it. And we were like, are people going to want to take an online class? Like what? It just, you know, we, we were so like hesitant to pull the trigger and, and invest our time and and, you know, money into setting those kind of things up. And then 2020 happens and everybody is now so like accustomed to communicating through virtual means and, and these like online meeting rooms that it's been the perfect time to launch online classes. And so we've been, you know, booking like crazy virtual classes and, you know, we were doing a lot of in-person demonstrations and in-person events and, and in-person you know, team building classes and, you know, all kinds of workshops, everything pumpkin related. And now we're just shifting gears and doing it through Zoom or Google Meetups or Facebook Live. And it's, you know, another one of these things of like staying positive, staying optimistic, looking at how we can find creative solutions to the challenges that are thrown out us. We are excited for the opportunity to bring these classes to a virtual space. It allows us to reach more people. And, you know, like where it would have been cost prohibitive for people to fly us across the country to teach an in-person class for two hours. Um, now it's so easy for us to, to teach classes all over the world. And now it's very easy for us to add more like multimedia content to our classes where, you know, when we were doing like an in-person class on a farm somewhere, you know, sometimes we'd go to a pumpkin farm and do a class and it, right. it wasn't, it didn't make sense for us to like set up a projector to show highlights of things that we'd worked on or like, you know, to, to show, you know, like the history of pumpkin carving now with bringing our classes online we can do all that so much easier. And so it's one of these other like things that opportunities sometimes come out of tragedies in unexpected directions. And 
you have to stay open to the possibilities and you have to stay optimistic. And if you, you know, it's, it's been a lot of personal work that I've been doing, like trying to make sure that I don't give in to the fear of the situation and, you know, not to like, I don't want to undermine any of the pain that anyone's going through right now. Cause there's a lot of effed up stuff going on in the world and there's a lot of heartbreak and, you know, a lot of people in our circle have been affected, you know, being in New York, like, I feel like we probably know more people that have had coronavirus and had like, you know, negative outcomes with coronavirus. And, you know, there's, there's so much going on. So, you know, not to like discount anyone's experience with that. Cause you know, we've, we've gone through a lot of pain this year, all of us collectively, but still like trying to stay hopeful that that we're going to come out stronger and that we can use our creativity to get through this and you know to to build community and you know trying to have some fun where we can and and appreciate the good moments it, you know that's all so important to us that is it's great and like i said uh, you know art uh, you know, it has been a channel for people who have always been, you know, serious artists, but at the same time, it's, it's also used for children as therapy. It's used for people of all ages as therapy. Um, quite honestly, uh, if you've, yeah. you know, if you've come across teachers, sometimes they are art therapy teachers as well, which is a different certification. And, um, you know, it, if you've just gotten that that box of watercolors of the like hard chunky rock like watercolors in the oval shapes and you're just splattering that and you don't know what you're doing and you have like you know dollar pack of pen of uh brushes you know whatever if it makes you feel good and the colors reverberate something and help you heal then then it's doing something and yes. it's, it, you know it's got to have an outlet somehow and I you know and I love that we're upon the Halloween season and that pumpkins are going to be a thing for people to play with uh, you know because it's essentially you, I mean you need to play even if you're creating something horrifying and spectacular like you're you know we're used to horror movie season right um you know, and you guys come up with some gross things and eyeballs popping out or whatever. <laughs> also beautiful things. You know, it's like we, we embrace all aspects of the, the season and the culture and, and Halloween for us, you know, Halloween has the horror kind of connotation that people immediately associate, but it also, you know, pumpkins have become a fall thing more than just a Halloween thing. And so, you know, yeah. Halloween is also like a celebration of popular culture. So, you know, people are dressing up as superheroes. People are dressing up as as all kinds of, you know, things and characters. And so we we embrace all of that with our carvings. And, you know, we try and create things that are beautiful more so than scary at this point. But, you know, going back to the art therapy thing, like we totally, you know, we're always telling people that they need to give it a shot. They need to get a pumpkin. They need to play with pumpkin carving and, and experience it because it's fun. And, you know, in our other lives as, you know, working artists, we do a lot of work that's art therapy related. Um, personally, art has always been my therapy from the time I was a kid through like some real personal tragedies that my family has gone through. Um, 
if you look at my my personal body of work, there there's a very strong narrative that you know people can really pick up on the the therapeutic ways that I use my art. But um, me and my partner Chris, you know, we have both worked as art educators and teaching artists, and um, we both worked for many years for a nonprofit in New York called Groundswell that does you know, really amazing work in communities where people might not have as much access to art as they should or, or used to, or, you know, so basically what Groundswell does is they hire artists like ourselves. And um, what we do is we work with groups of young, you know, city youth uh, often kids who are maybe in like at risk communities, you know, kids from across the spectrum of New York City youth. And we get these kids and work with them and give them, you know, fundamental foundational art skills, teaching them how to how to draw, how to paint but with the end goal of creating a mural and the murals often revolve around social justice causes, um, you know, things that are important to the communities where the artwork is based. And it's, it's one of those things that like, it's so amazing to see firsthand the kids who we work with. And, And I say kids, you know, they're, they're typically, high school to college age, but we, we had worked with also younger and older, but normally, you know, 16 to 20 is like the range that we would work with. And, um, the, what would happen is we would work with the kids, especially, you know, they would, we would do like these summer projects where you'd get a group of kids that you'd work with every day for two months straight. And it would start with teaching them, you know, some drawing and painting skills and then lead to working on designing a mural together collectively as, you know, groups. And then by the end of the summer, we would be out on the streets fabricating sometimes massive murals, you know, sometimes, you know, several stories tall on scaffolding or, you know, hundred feet wide. And these murals are like iconic New York murals at this point. And, um, and the therapeutic benefits for us as the facilitators and for the, the youth participants who, you know, they were learning not just the creative development skills, but also leadership skills and team building and things that they might not have been getting in school or in their communities and just like witnessing that empowerment and and getting messages from some of these students that we had years and years later as adults telling us you know the impact that it made it's um it's 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 a really powerful thing seeing the changes that art can have that's amazing that you know and what a wonderful experience um i'm sure they'll remember it forever uh, you know, and so uh, before I let you go, I just want to uh, ask, talking about, you know, being a kid, um, what, what's, 
your first Halloween memory and, and what was it like? What was Halloween like for you as a kid? Oh, wow. Um, I, I always loved dressing up. I, I always loved as a kid carving pumpkins and, you know, I have some photos of like some of my first pumpkin carvings that, you know, were based off the classic kits, but that I was really proud of. And, you know, I've got some, some really fun photos that like I still cherish from, you know, being a kid carving those things and just, you know, the, the, the element of dressing up and getting out of, you know, I was a shy kid and and being able to like be someone else for a day was always very appealing. And, you know, to come out of a shell by like, putting on a costume and and being your favorite hero or monster or whatever it is, but just being able to like be something else and, and step out of your own head for, for a short period of time is it's a valuable experience. And, um, and, you know, for me also like Halloween, there was always like this element of danger. Like I was an eighties kid. And so there was always like the stories of, of, which now they say like these things never happened, but there was always the stories of, oh. of poison and candies or razor blade and candies, razor blades, yeah. razor blades in the apples. Yeah. yeah. They supposedly like that was a total urban legend. The one time it happened, it was like, a um, you know, like a fake thing that, or like the person who did it, who, the per- the person who reported it was the person who did it, you know? Okay. Um, regardless, like, there was always a lot of fear around Halloween, you know, and also like as a kid trick or treating, you know, there where we lived, it was like you had to worry about getting egged or, you know, people. Yeah. Like, toilet paper, shaving cream, the eggs, the toilet paper. There was always a little bit of a fear. And that that fear, I feel like, is a little healthy in some respects. You know, there was a, there was like part of me feels like it, that I was bullied a little Bit, but part of me is like I also kind of looked forward to like having to like be a little nervous to go out on Halloween, you know. <laughs> so I um I don't know I my my memories of Halloween like I I just I I loved it enough that me and my best friend you know built our business revolving around it and wanted to make it a, a major part of our lives. So it, it's always had a major a major role for us. That's fantastic. Um, all right. So, uh, yeah, too bad. Like Chris, we were having some technical difficulties, so Chris couldn't, couldn't join us, but definitely send him, you know, the, my best from New Jersey. <laughs> and, um, and so where can people find you online and, you know, to maybe sign up for your classes if they're not full or however you're running that. Yeah, so we are, our website is maniacpumpkincarvers.com. Uh, you could also just go to maniacpumpkins.com. They, they both they both work. We're on Facebook, Maniac Pumpkin Carvers. Uh, Instagram is at Maniac Pumpkins. And we're really, we're most active on Instagram. Um, and then, you know, my personal Instagram is Mark Maniac, uh, Mark with a C. And my partner, Chris, is Chris Soria on Instagram and Facebook. And, um, 
Yeah, I mean, we we love when people reach out and want to talk about art or pumpkins or or any of the above. And if people want to want to book us for classes or or hire us, there's a um, there's a contact form on our website that is the best way to get a hold of us. And because we do like all types of custom work for people, you know, whether it's like private individuals or you know big businesses. If you need pumpkins carved by a professional, we're the people to come to. And so, you know, we love when people reach out with weird requests and, you know, whether it's it's some, you know, huge like corporate event or or media promotion or just, you know, somebody that like wants to try and do something, you know, crazy for their home for Halloween. You know, we're we're there to help and um, we, we encourage people to reach out and, and talk to us and, uh, definitely, you know, follow our, our social medias for the latest work that we're doing pumpkin and otherwise, cause we're, we're always creating really interesting and unique, uh, new things. And, uh, and you know, it, it's our passion. So we, we, we always just want to share and, and get it out there into the world. <laughs> That's great. And then so, you know, from a fan perspective, maybe we'll get to see some adorable baby Yoda pumpkins at some point. And <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's I, I, I there, you can always expect a good amount of fan art from us. And then it's even more exciting when we get to do some collaborations with uh, with some of these, you know, big media companies. So um yeah, Baby Yoda is certainly a possibility. I, I did a, a, a Chadwick Boseman tribute pumpkin last week that just, I, you know, it was something that I, I had to do. I saw. Um, yeah, I saw. You know, and that one, it was one that I really enjoyed just spending time with, with him and, um, you know, carving his likeness. But we'll, you know, we're always trying to find ways of, of doing things that pay tribute and doing things that celebrate popular culture and, and all things Halloween. So definitely follow us to, uh, to see more. And we've, we've got some really exciting things in store and a couple, couple projects that are particularly exciting for the comic book fans. So uh, things that I can't exactly say just yet, but we've got some cool stuff coming up. All right. That's wonderful. Wonderful news. Um, so you guys can follow me on Twitter at Elizabeth Amber. The website's amberunmasked.com. And Instagram is amberunmasked, which is 99% cat pictures. Uh, you know, and patreon.com slash amberunmasked. And you get those weekly cat stories and news and, and such first. So um, again, check out Maniac Pumpkin Carvers. This was um, wonderful to have this conversation with Mark Evan. And, um, you know, happy Halloween. Enjoy your season. Enjoy every bit of it. Get some pumpkin spice and some apple cider and stay in touch. 